Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is GPS, the global public square. Welcome to all of you in the United States and around the world. I'm Fareed Zakaria coming to you live from New York. Today on the program, the Israeli security cabinet has just officially declared a state of war after yesterday morning's stunning surprise attack by Hamas. More than 500 Israelis have died in the assault with thousands wounded. The death toll on the Palestinian side has surpassed 300 as Israel retaliates against Gaza. The IDF says its goal is to control all of the Gaza Strip and to, quote, kill all the terrorists in our territory, unquote. I'll talk to former Israeli Foreign Minister Zippy Livni, former Palestinian Minister of Information Mustafa Barghouti, and former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett about what has happened so far and what comes next. Also, Tom Friedman, one-time New York Times Jerusalem bureau chief, will help us look at the big picture of today's Middle East. Let's go straight to CNN's international diplomatic editor, Nick Robertson, who is on the Israeli side of the border with Gaza near the northeast corner of the Gaza Strip. He is in the town of Sterot, where the police station was liberated by Israeli forces in recent hours after having been taken over by Hamas militants. Nick, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu vowed a mighty vengeance. Uh, are you seeing that translate on the ground as Israel begins its retaliation? I think we're beginning to see the precursor of what it will take to begin to put in place the plans for a mighty vengeance. Getting control of the area that the Hamas militants took control of yesterday, this town, Starot, you see the police station, you see how heavily damaged it is. There was an outbreak of gunfire just around the corner from here that we could hear a, a few minutes ago. There were intercepts of Iron Dome missiles shooting over our heads at more rockets coming out of Israel. So securing the area around Gaza, where there is still a high-intensity operation on to, uh, to confront militants that left Gaza yesterday or today and have got into Israel territory, that has to be part of an important precursor because you can't fully deploy battlefield troops, uh, lots of tanks, lots of artillery, lots of armored personnel carrier and bring in reservists and others that will be required for the type of response Prime Minister Netanyahu is talking about. And at the moment, uh, we have seen a limited number of tanks, main battle tanks moved into the area, along with a few howitzers. But that is not going to make a military incursion. The political decisions are being made. Um, the military has taken control again of this territory here, which will then open it up for that big deployment that we expect if there is going to be a, a ground incursion for Eid. The difference this time, Nick, is that uh, Hamas has taken many hostages and presumably they're going to place those hostages strategically in places that Israel might strike at, Hamas headquarters and things like that. You've been talking to the IDF. 
Has Israel factored in this problem, which is that they, they will be uh, they will be risking the lives of Israeli citizens potentially if they were to strike any and all Hamas targets? How are they thinking about this problem? Yeah, about an hour or so ago, Fried, I interviewed uh, a major in Israeli Israel Defense Forces uh, communications department, one of the principal spokesmen. And I said to him, what are you going to do? Because he was telling us about the situation here. We were standing here and he was saying literally off these streets here, people were rounded up by Hamas and taken just a few miles across the border into Gaza. I said, what are you going to do about the hostages? And, and he, he, like the other spokesman, won't say how many there are. But he said, what I can tell you is we are not going to leave anyone behind. That is a very strong statement. It's elderly women we've seen young women, children, men, service personnel taken. That is a very strong statement. And undoubtedly, everyone will calculate that Hamas will use these hostages as pressure points on Prime Minister Netanyahu. They'll very likely uh, make videos. There'll be the potential for mock executions. There'll be the potential for threatening executions. There'll be the potential for real executions, all of which Hamas will use strategically and carefully to maximize over time its pressure on the decision-making of the Israeli government, uh, principally not principally to stop uh, the Israel def Israeli Defense Forces being able to have a big incursion into Gaza. I think that's what everyone is expecting. How it unfolds precisely isn't clear. Uh, Israel has been caught on the back foot in intelligence terms. Um, and, and at the moment, Hamas has a certain amount of initiative. They're going to seed that, some of it, in the coming days. That's what we're likely to see. Nick, for the last few months, ever since uh, Bibi Netanyahu's government formed, uh, we were all spending a lot of time talking about the constitutional reforms, the, 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 the role of the court and such. Uh, what was going on with regard to Israeli-Palestinian relations? What is, the, what is the backdrop here? They've been deteriorating. They've been deteriorating in part because there's a recognition on the Palestinian side that there is a very strong nationalist, very right of center, very security driven uh, Israeli leadership. Um, the leadership was focused principally on what was happening in the West Bank. We've seen incursions into Janine to go after uh, gunmen uh, there. Um, that has brought the Israeli Defense Forces a certain amount of success in in, in those operations. They've captured and neutralized the personnel that they wanted to there. But at the same time, a certain blind eye, if you will, seemed to be turned on Gaza. The fact that Hamas wasn't jumping to support those militants in the West Bank, in those separate areas, um, was sort of taken that they don't want to confront Israel at this time. Where what is emerging is that Hamas was very clearly plotting and planning this massive, significant, groundbreaking operation. And then internally, of course, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his government have faced huge internal dissent from the changes that he wants to make to, uh, to the judiciary, for example. That has brought hundreds at times of thousands of Israelis out on the streets. So he's fought these domestic political distractions, the potential, the pressure internationally not to uh, have high Palestinian casualties in the West Bank. At the same time, as the big prize for him, which is making a deal involving the United States and Saudi Arabia to normalize relations. That has been for him his golden prize, if you will. 
and it does seem as if it's caused him, doesn't explain his intelligence services, but uh, uh, drops of the ball here, but it does appear to have caused him to divert some uh, of his attention in this hugely pressured situation. Nick, thank you as always. Next on GPS, Israel's former foreign minister and justice minister, Zippy Livni, when we come back. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday's attacks on Israel came 50 years plus one day after another set of surprise attacks. The ones that began the 1973 Yom Kippur War. We continue our coverage with Zippy Livni, Israel's former foreign minister and justice minister. She joins me from Tel Aviv. Welcome, uh, Zippy Livni. Let me ask you to begin with about the magnitude of this intelligence and security failure, because we are comparing it uh, often to the Yom Kippur War, but in some ways it strikes me as even even greater. Yom Kippur War was a failure to uh, to see what was happening in foreign capitals. Uh, this is Gaza. This is a place that Israel occupied for decades. This is a place that Israel still has a tight blo- blockade on, security controls on. What what do you think happened? How was the IDF taken so much by surprise? Well, uh, it took us by surprise, unfortunately, but yet there is time, there will be time for inquiries the day after. But I want to make another difference between the situation now and the Yom Kippur War, because we are speaking about a war uh, now, but uh, Hamas didn't wage war. Uh, in war, you have some limitations, rules, laws, uh, what Hamas did was uh, a massacre uh, in a dreadful uh, manner against civilians, children, women, families. Uh, so when we are speaking about asymmetrical war uh, between a state, a country, and terrorist organization, uh, it's not just, uh, you know, uh, something very technical. This is what we are facing. A terrorist organization that are acting against civilians in a very cruel manner. And uh, this is what is happening in Israel uh, for the last two days. Do you think that the, the taking of the hostages will change the IDF's calculation about how it can retaliate? Well, it's clear that uh, this is an issue that uh, is very um, sensitive to, to every Israeli. Uh, we showed it also in the past. 
And I'm sure that uh, Hamas decided to do so uh, in order to get some ammunition or uh, immunity from uh, Israel retaliation. But this is the decision that decisions that the Israeli uh, cabinet need to make. But uh, I think that something important, important need to be explained these days because people tend to take this as part of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and it's not. Uh, I want to say that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is based on a national conflict between two national movements and it is hopefully solvable. But Hamas uh, in a way uh, represents a religious conflict that is not solvable. And I know that there are those saying that uh, using violence, in a, even in a dreadful manner, is the only way to uh, achieve a freedom or achievement to your peoples. But this is not the situation in Gaza. Uh, Israel left Gaza. We pulled out uh, our forces. We dismantled all the settlements. And in order to get legitimacy and to open Gaza, and now there is no Israeli soldier in Gaza or any settlement, they need to abide or to accept the requirement of the Quartet. Uh, the entire world, uh, including US and Russia, uh, the UN and EU, uh, said that Hamas can get legitimacy only if they stop, uh, renounce violence and terrorism, accept Oslo Agreement, abide to it, and accept the right of Israel to exist. And they are not willing to do so. So uh, it is important that we'll bear it in mind when people are speaking about what Israel needs to do and uh, for those of us believing in peace, Hamas is an obstacle to peace. It's not just a tactical matter now, it's a stra uh, strategic matter. Uh, you, you, you pointed out something important, which is this, this conflict is unlike the 73 one not between the Arab nations and Israel. And I wanted to know, as a former foreign minister, you must be watching this carefully, what is your sense of the reaction of the Arab countries who would, you know, certainly decades ago, something like this would have happened. One assumes the Arab countries would have cheered on. They would have, been, they would have allowed demonstrations on the streets. I'm struck by the fact that you do not have much of that. Uh, I wondered your thoughts on it. Uh, yes, it's not the first time. Uh, we saw the division in our region in uh, the last uh, few years and even more. The division is not between the Arab world and Israel, uh, but it's between the moderates in the region, the more pragmatics, and the extremists, and the religious Islamist group, and rock states like Iran and Hezbollah in Lebanon. Uh, so it's different uh, camps in a way in the region. And therefore, for them, uh, Hamas that represent this kind of religious Islamist ideology uh, of Muslim Brotherhood and others, for them it's not winning something. Uh, it's uh, uh, something that uh, can have an impact within their own countries. And therefore, uh, uh, it's clear that uh, Hamas doesn't represent any Arab cause and any Palestinian cause. And Speaking, if I may, also about the international community, I think that it's time to understand that when this kind of terrorist organization has a political branch and a military branch, it's the same. And we see it in, with Hamas, uh, with Hezbollah in Lebanon. They are abusing uh, their political power. They are abusing the democratic rules to get more and more power and to abuse it. Uh, sometimes against others, against Israel, to ignite the region, or even against their own uh, citizens. 
and this is what we see in Gaza and in Lebanon. And therefore, when my expectations from the international community and really uh, uh, the support coming from the international community and the, and the United States and President uh, Biden is, is touching and important. But let's also uh, speak about the future. I think that it's time to recognize what we are facing, what is the meaning of Hamas and Hezbollah, a terrorist organization that represent unsolvable religious conflict and uh, not to legitimize their political branch uh, in the future as well. Zippy Livni, thank you as always for your, uh, for your perspective on a day of real tragedy for, for Israel. Thank you. When we come back, we will hear from a Palestinian point of view, from the former Minister of Information of the Palestinian Authority, Mustafa Barghouti. According to reporting by Al Jazeera, the leader of Hamas has said the group is on the verge of a great victory after its incursion into Israeli territory. Political leader Ismail Haniyeh has blamed the violence squarely on Israel's occupation of Palestinian land. For another Palestinian viewpoint, I wanted to bring in Dr. Mustafa Barghouti. He is a former information minister for the Palestinian government which is in control of parts of the West Bank, but does not control Gaza. Uh, welcome, Minister. I, I again want to just make sure that viewers understand that the Palestinian Authority has been an opponent of Hamas, so you are not in any way affiliated with Hamas. You represent the Palestinian Authority, uh, which has control over parts of the West Bank. All that said, what is your reaction to what you have seen so far? Well, first of all, I am not uh, part of the Palestinian Authority. As a matter of fact, I represent a democratic Palestinian movement called Palestinian National Initiative, which is non-Fatah and non-Hamas. And we're, uh, we're uh, of course, I am not affiliated with Hamas. But I think this situation uh, that has evolved is a direct result of the continuation of the longest occupation in modern history. Israeli occupation of Palestinian land since uh, 1967. This is 56 years of occupation that has transformed into a system of apartheid, a much worse apartheid than what prevailed in South Africa. Uh, yes, uh, maybe Hamas did not recognize Israel, but the PLO did and the Palestinian Authority did. What did they get? Nothing. Since 2014, the Israeli governments would not even meet with Palestinians. And what you see today is a reaction to several things. First of all, settlers' terrorist attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank that has evicted already 20 communities in an act of ethnic cleansing. 248 Palestinians who were killed by the Israeli army and settlers in the West Bank, including 40 children. Attacks on the holy sites, the Muslim and Christian holy sites by Israeli extremists, as well as declaration of Netanyahu that he will liquidate the Palestinian rights and the Palestinian cause by normalization with Arab countries. And he dared even to go to the United Nations and carried in the United Nations a map of Israel, which included the whole of the West Bank, all of Gaza, all of Jerusalem, as well as the Golan Heights. He declared the annexation of the occupied territories. So of course, Palestinians turned to resistance because they see that this is the only way for them to get their rights. The question here 
is not about dehumanizing Palestinians as is happening and calling them terrorists. It's about asking the question, why the United States supports Ukraine in fighting what they call occupation, while here they are supporting the occupier who continues to occupy us. But, but let me ask you, if, the, if that is the, the analogy you wish to draw, um, the, what Hamas is doing is they're targeting Israeli civilians, women, children, grandmothers. No, they are not. Uh, is, that, is, that, is that not a classic terror? Isn't that classic terrorism? They're not fighting the Israeli government. They're fighting ordinary people. That's one way of putting it, but it's not true. I think Hamas mainly attacked military establishments, military installations. And most of the people they, they have arrested and uh, taken as uh, pres- war, uh, war prisoners are military people. I do not accept attacking any civilian. Uh, uh, I do not accept that Israelis attack our civilians. But look at what Israeli planes are doing now in Gaza. They, they are bombarding houses. They're bringing down to earth, and you've shown, you've shown that on your, uh, on your screen, uh, whole apartments, whole buildings, high-rise buildings are brought down to the ground, and we already are reporting, uh, receiving uh, reports about families who are killed, uh, nine people in one family, ten people in another family, including children. I do not want any civilian to be hurt, neither by Palestinians or by Israelis. But the question is how to end that. Will it end by attacking Gaza Strip another time? Israel has already conducted five wars on Gaza. One of them lasted 51 days. They destroyed everything. This did not stop Hamas, did not stop resistance. There is one way to stop any violence, and that is to end the Israeli occupation. And that is for the United States to be fair. They cannot say that Israel has the right to defend itself, but we, the Palestinians, don't have the right to defend ourselves. Let me remind you with the case of Shirin Abu Akli, who was not only Palestinian, but also an American, a very peaceful journalist. She was shot to death by an Israeli sniper. Was anybody indicted? Was anybody taken to court? No. 52 other journalists were also killed. Our first aid providers are shot at. Our doctors are shot at. This should stop. And the only way to stop it is to tell Israel, you have to respect international law. You have to end this illegal occupation and accept Palestinians as equal human beings. Let me ask you about the practical reality of what's going to happen here, uh, which you know because you've lived through this, which is uh, this is going to strengthen right wing forces in Israel. It is going to strengthen the, the forces that say uh, have no mercy, have a you know, huge military response. Presumably the life of Palestinians in the West Bank will get harder, more checkpoints, more uh, searches. Uh, isn't the practical effect here of all this going to be much worse for the average Palestinian? Unfortunately, uh, Farid, what you have described is exactly what we already have. Uh, Today, the whole West Bank is paralyzed by 560 military Israeli checkpoints. And these checkpoints were there during the last 30 years. We are uh, suffering from a wall that is built on our land. The whole West Bank has been divided in 224 small ghettos separated from each other. And the settlers are everywhere attacking Palestinians. 
Uh, you speak about right-wing government in Israel. Already Israel is a right-wing government. Israel is already having fascists in its government. Smotrich described himself as a fascist homophobe. And that man, Smotrich, who is also a settler, said that Palestinians have one of three options only, either to immigrate or accept a life of subjugation to Israelis or die. This is the Israeli minister of finance, Netanyahu never negated these statements. And both Smotrich and Bingvir said that their plan is to annex the West Bank. Can we stop this, what's going on now? Yes, of course. All these Israelis who are now in Gaza can be released tomorrow, including everybody. If there are civilians, also the civilians, even the generals of the Israeli army can be released if Israel also accepts to release our 5,300 Palestinian prisoners who are in Israeli jails, including 1,260 Palestinians who are in jail without knowing why, under the so-called administrative detention. They don't know why they are arrested, they are not charged, their lawyers don't know why they are arrested, and that's the life we have. Look, uh, Farid, we have lived all our lives under occupation. My father lived under occupation. My daughter is living under occupation. We want a time when we, the Palestinians, will be free. Hamas was not there 30 years ago or 40 years ago. But before that, PLO was described as terrorist. Any Palestinian who struggles for his rights or for freedom is described as terrorist. And the question here, do we have the right to struggle for freedom? Do we have the right to struggle for real democracy? Do we have the right to have normal democratic elections, which unfortunately Israel and the United States don't support? I think we are entitled to that. But the unfortunate thing, if we struggle in a military form, we are terrorists. If we struggle in a nonviolent way, we are described as violent. If we even resist with words, we are des described as provocators. If you support Palestinian and you are a foreigner, they describe you as anti-Semite. And if you are a Jewish person, and there are many of those who support Palestinian cause, they call him self-hating Jew. This should end. It doesn't make sense. We should all have equal life. We should all have peace. We should all have justice. And we should all live in dignity. The main way to achieve that is to end occupation, end the system of apartheid that I am sure no Jewish person can be proud of. Time has come for that and time has come for justice and freedom. If we achieve that, there will be no violence and nobody will be hurt. Mustafa Barghouti, I thank you for giving us your time and your perspective. When we come Thanks. back, we will be joined by Naftali Bennett, the former prime minister of Israel. Hacks is coming back and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Joining me now is Israel's former Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett. He enlisted in the IDF reserves yesterday after the attacks. Uh, Prime Minister, tell us what all this looks like to you on the ground. You, you must have, you've been, I know you've been traveling around the country. This is a very hard to 
contain, very hard to absorb such scale and such cruelty. Um, what's been going on is for about 30 hours until just a few hours ago, uh, there was a massacre in slow motion going on in dozens of communities in southern Israel where Hamas terrorists uh, went from one home to another, entered the home uh, with their rifles, killed babies, point blank, held their rifles, killed the baby, killed the mother, killed the father. Uh, in many cases, the family uh, closed the shelter door, which is a very thick uh, steel door, so the terrorists could not enter. The terrorists were walking just right outside of, of the door, uh, telling them it's uh, IDF soldiers open up. And on the other side of the door, the family is just praying that uh, they go away. When the family doesn't open the door to be murdered, then the Hamas terrorist uh, burns the house. And then it becomes, again, smoke enters the room. And then the families have to open the door. And then they're slaughtered, point blank. Uh, imagine that. Imagine uh, we've had situations where uh, a nine-year-old uh, girl is pulled by her hair by the terrorists and kidnapped into Hamastan, the Hamas uh, state that's just a few kilometers from here, from where I'm standing. Imagine mothers trying to defend their, their children while the dad is out there. Ophir Lipstein, the mayor of this area, a good friend of mine, uh, he put his family in the shelter and he went out with his pistol to fight the terrorist. He was killed, but his family is saved. We're still waiting to hear what's going on with his uh, son, Nitsan. Uh, so many personal stories and friends that have been murdered. This is very personal and this is not how human beings act. This is an act of uh, monsters. Let me ask you about the, the intelligence and security failure because you are a former uh, prime minister. You have uh, had security briefings. Uh, how, what is your sense of how this happened? Because this is, to my mind, as I've, I've said, this seems more dramatic than, than 73 because this is Gaza. This is not trying to figure out what's happening in foreign capitals. And, 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 and secondly, how did the Iron Dome not work as well as it was expected to against these thousands of missiles? Well, I have to admit that uh, we were surprised uh, and uh, we're going to have to learn how that happens. But uh, generally in, in military history, uh, there are always big surprises. Pearl Harbor, Barbarossa, uh, Yom Kippur War. At the end of the day, intelligence can go only so far. Um, what I'm very proud to say is and see, I've uh, meeting just amazing heroes, Israeli heroes, uh, that, that are not in the army. The 40-year-old men that get on uniform, join enlist to the reserves and go out and defend other families across Israel. We have a 150% enlisting rate. I'm getting so many calls from people who say, I want to I go defend other Israelis. This is a beautiful nation that we have, a courageous nation that's out fighting. And unfortunately, people are dying while defending other people. Just tremendous amount of acts of 
the, the, of heroism. Uh, and, and I just met a guy called Ayal. He was, uh, he, he took two bullets into his, uh, into his body, but he saved his family in a kibbutz uh, not far from here. He saved his family uh, from terrorists who were about 15 terrorists. And, and there were just four Israeli civilians, but they had their, their uh, guns and they fended off the terrorists until about five or six hours later, the army finally came. President Netanyahu says this is going to be a long and difficult war. Uh, do you agree? I mean, again, from the outside, we think the Israeli defense forces are so strong um, that you that you will be able to do a kind of massive retaliation. Do you think this is going to be long and difficult? I think it will be long and difficult. I think um, not unlike Pearl Harbor, it did not take two days for America to get organized because this war is not against Hamas only. The way I view it is Hamas, Iran, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, our enemies are one front. They even say that. And the way that we need to operate is by surprise. We don't have to uh, play there by their rule book. Uh, and, the, you know, the fact that Hamas attacked us here doesn't mean we have to go straight into there. It means that we can act however we find right. And uh, I will say that our enemies from Tehran to Gaza to anywhere that uh, they're trying to hurt us, we're going to get them. It's going to hurt. And we're going to hit them back because we have a strong nation. And yeah, we took a huge blow, a huge blow, unimaginable. But we're strong and we will prevail. Daftali Bennett, thank you very much. Um, my apologies for calling Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Netanyahu. Uh, when we come back, we will be with New York Times columnist Tom Friedman to discuss more about the conflict and its wider implications when we come back. And now joining me to discuss the broader context of the conflict is the New York Times' columnist Tom Friedman. He was the Times bureau chief in both Beirut and Jerusalem and is the author of the aptly named book From Beirut to Jerusalem. He won his first two Pulitzer Prizes reporting from the region. It's good to have you with us, Tom. Let me first ask you, 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 you think about this uh, a lot. Uh, you're always interested in technology and such. What strikes you about the asymmetry of this attack? Hamas, after all, very weak compared to the IDF. Terrorism is always the weapon of the weak. Yet they were able to pull off something quite extraordinary, partly because of the surprise and the brutality, right? You know, Farid, I think this war will be studied by intelligence services all over the world. You know, let me start by saying a lot of people are saying this is Israel's 9-11. That's just silly. 9-11 was a complete unimagined event that people would turn airliners into suicide bombs. This was completely anticipated. This was completely expected. Israel had built a billion-dollar wall to prevent this. So the fact that that wall was breached by a bulldozer, um, uh, by, by uh, Palestinian uh, Hamas people in, in uh, you know, little cars, driving their own cars, how did that happen, number one? How did they maintain surprise? This was a very complex, sophisticated attack involving sea, land, and air drones. It had been planned over a long period of time. Did they not use cell phones? Were those cell phones masked some way? Uh, maybe with the help of Iran? I have no idea. So we need to understand how this 
this um, basically, you know, uh, very small force armed with just enough technology uh, managed to surprise and overwhelm what is considered one of the most technologically savvy militaries in the world. You had been writing for a while about this new right-wing Israeli government and its actions in the West Bank. Um, it has members of it who talk about annexing all of the West Bank and Gaza. Do you think this played a role in, in the, the sort of backdrop of this attack? Fareed, there will be one day, I'm sure, some kind of uh, inquiry commission on this war. Um, uh, and if I got to write uh, indictment number one, it would go to Israel's justice minister, Yariv Levine. Remember that name, Y-A-R-I-V-L-E-V-I-N-E. He is the man who drove this insane, corrupt, dishonest effort to basically uh, take over the power of the Supreme Court under the name of judicial review. And when he did, with Netanyahu's help, he fractured Israel. He fractured Israeli society. He fractured the Israeli ministry, military. He triggered, he fractured the Israeli Air Force. He triggered almost 40 weeks of 100,000 Israelis coming out every Saturday night uh, to protest this. Uh, uh, last week, I actually quoted an Israeli former Defense Department official as saying, our preparation has been harmed by this whole fracture of our society. That's where this started. And if I get to write the indictment, he will be the indicted person number one. But Netanyahu enabled him. And tell me, I got to get you on the broader issues. Uh, what does this mean for the Saudi deal, for normalization? It, it would seem that it becomes much more complicated because now you have inflamed passions on the Arab street, as they say. Or does this, do, do you think the Saudis don't care about that? And they're looking at it practically and there it is to their advantage. I think, Freed, in the long run, uh, their interests are in normalization with Israel, and those interests will prevail in the long run. But in the short run, this war between Hamas and Israel makes that impossible. I believe if Iran didn't uh, stimulate or encourage it, it sure understands it's a huge beneficiary of that. The last thing Iran won was a U.S.-Saudi-Israel strategic alliance to counterbalance Iran. So right now, that's no longer, uh, that's no longer possible. The IDF has said that they want to take control of, of Gaza. I assume they mean this temporarily, but your colleague, Brett Stevens, has written in the Times today, uh, the IDF should expel Ga Hamas from Gaza. I'm not sure where they would go, but, but he then proposes a kind of Egyptian, Saudi, UAE uh, peacekeeping force that would essentially rule Gaza, I, I would guess. Is there, you know, what happens to Gaza? Is that a possibility? Because it's difficult to imagine Israel just beating up a, a bunch of uh, Palestinians in Gaza and then withdrawing back uh, into, into Israel again. Fareed, always remember, who got Israel out of Gaza? It's Arch Hawk, um, one of its, you know, most celebrated military commanders, Ariel Sharon. He understood that it is just an incredible quagmire. And that's why Netanyahu, all these years, uh, 15 years as prime minister, has never wanted to go in. So I think we have to be very, very careful. Um, and, and asking other people, I mean, I love Brett, but asking other people to be peacekeeping force, forces in, in Gaza, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, they can barely manage their own border with the Houthis. Um, the idea that Israel would turn its security over to third party Arab armies, I, I just don't see that. 
So this is going to be very difficult because what the Israelis are going to try to do, Farid, is they're going to try to restore their deterrence, which they understand has been broken here. They're going to do some very, very, very harsh things in Gaza. I have no doubt about that. Whether that involves a, a you know, reoccupation, I, I, I don't know, but they're going to do some very harsh things. The United States is going to be, in a, be asked to support that. The world is going to be asked to support that. And all I know is this, Farid, if Israel is going to ask the world to do that, it is going to, first of all, Netanyahu is going to have to break up this crazy, insane cabinet he has, he has assembled. He's going to have to boot out his national security minister. National security minister of Israel is today a guy who is so, uh, you know, unfit. The Israeli army wouldn't take him when he was a young man. Netanyahu has got to stop playing politics and start understanding he's a war of survival. And if he wants the world to support him, he's got to clean up his act big time, build a national unity cabinet of serious people, moderate people, because Israel's going to do some very tough stuff, Farid, and it's not going to be easy for the world to take, and they're certainly not going to do it if he's got in his cabinet people who are absolute arsonists. Tom Friedman, pleasure. Thanks, thanks to everyone for being part of my program this week, and I will see you next week. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.